Okay, so uh, back at it. It is time for the Pistols Firing Podcast with your hosts, yours truly, Carson Cunningham. I mean, he's about as pretty as they get. Joined, as always, by Kyle Porter. When he breaks through and gets in the open, it's over. Gone. The Pistols Firing Podcast starts right now. It is Bedlam Week. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined by Kyle Porter. Kyle, it's hard to believe we're at the end of the season, and I I always say that football season goes faster than any other season, but for some reason this year, I don't feel that way. I feel like this was not a slog, but just it it, it feels like the season should be ending. I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, well, first of all, I have a, uh, a live turkey in my shed this week that uh, I'm going to prepare for Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so I've been living with a turkey in the shed. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. but You're, you're joking, right? Yeah, I'm kidding. Um, uh, well, I don't, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have put that past you with your, the shed <laughs> and your wildlife with three kids. Somebody brought, somebody, uh, brought this up. Um, there was a review. I, I didn't know this, uh, but somebody pointed it out to me. There was a review left on our uh, iTunes page for this podcast, which, by the way, if you're listening, go to our iTunes page, review the podcast, give us some stars. That helps out with um, just people knowing about it. Anyway, this person said, I, I don't have you seen this. Do you know what I'm about to say? No. This person said. Obviously, the show doesn't produce revenue because one guy lives in a shed with his kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Which that's so good. I thought was uh, incredible. No, um, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it has seemed like a normal amount of time has passed this season. It hasn't gone... It hasn't gone slow for me, uh, but it hasn't gone as fast as some of the other seasons. And I th- I think part of that is just the the you know, a couple of the hiccups that OSU had in the middle of the season, that made it kind of drag a little bit because you're, like, looking up contract buyouts and all this just nonsense. Um, but I think I think that's the part that sort of made it drag along a, a, drag along a little bit. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It wasn't quite an exhilarating ride throughout yeah. the year, so maybe that's why it felt like it, it went slower than others. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do want to get to mid-first the mid first five here in a second, but you know, it is Thanksgiving week, Kyle. And I think you're sort of like me. We didn't grow up just diehard NFL fans. We didn't really have a team, so to speak. Um, so on Thanksgiving, our team was Barry Sanders. We just watched Barry and, and yeah. that was, that was the Thanksgiving tradition. I wanted to ask you like, what's your favorite memory growing up watching, watching Barry on, on Turkey day. Well, the thing I, the thing I always remember, and it's not anything like that Barry specifically did, but the thing as a kid that I that always just confused, I don't know, amazed me was when uh, John Madden would wheel out like the ten legged turkey or whatever. Yeah, you remember that? Oh yeah. And it's or eight. What? How many legs did it have? It had an absurd amount. And I'm like, well, a real I, turkey. Yeah. I, I don't understand a ten legged turkey. Like, what? What is? What? What's happening? So that, like, just just that whole celebration of. I don't know. Gundy mentioned this in his presser. He's like, you knew, you knew the Lions would be on. You knew the Cowboys would be playing. It, it, it's a, it's a very familiar place that is, uh, it, that's a lot of fun with with family and friends. Do you know what's seared into my brain when I think of Barry playing on Thanksgiving? It is when he would take his helmet off. You know, mm. he kind of had longer hair. His hair would take on the shape of the yeah. padding and the helmet. Yeah, it just looked so funny. And for a little kid, you just thought that was like the the funniest thing ever. Yeah. But I, I distinctly remember when he played the Bears on Thanksgiving, and he he had one of those prototypical runs. It might be, I think it's the run against the Bears that you, you see on all of his career highlight uh, videos. It's the one where he just kind of makes like six guys miss all at once. It's just crazy. And it was kind of depressing because the Lions rarely won, <laughs> but yeah. every time they did, he would get the turkey leg. So it was that was a highlight of Thanksgiving, watching you know a guy that played at OSU just you know, continue his Hall of Fame career for everyone to see. How many uh, – can you name any of his quarterbacks? Scott Mitchell, was he a quarterback Scott, for the Lions? Scott, Scott Mitchell was probably the best quarterback he had, uh, which just tells you all you need to know. Didn't they have uh, – they had Herman Moore? 
Herman Moore was the receiver whose neck looked like <laughs> Merton Hanks's neck. Um, uh, Rodney Pete was a quarterback for a while okay. for the Lions. Okay, but it was it was not good. It was a tough scene. Yeah, and like you wonder if Barry was playing in this day and age, like how soon would he have been traded to a contender? Or how much? You know, Barry was never going to be the guy that was going to ask for that. But you just you wonder in this day and age, players move a lot more than they did back then. So, so I don't uh, know. Nineteen ninety-three, Detroit Lions: Rodney Pete, Eric Kramer, and Andre Ware were the quarterbacks. Oof. Uh, I just I just pulled up a random line here. You had Herman Moore, Brett Perryman, Barry. Mm. Their offense was okay. I mean, their defense stunk, but their more than anything, I just I always wondered what Barry Sanders would have done with with the Dallas Cowboys offensive line, a bunch of Hall of Famers. Mel just, Gray, remember him? No, I have no idea who that he is. Like a, I think he was like <laughs> a kick returner. Then in so I, I flipped over to '96. Scott Mitchell, uh, Herman Moore was still on the team. He gets. Uh, yeah, it's not it's not a good scene. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it's it's gonna be it. it, it Thanksgiving is always fun. It's always a little stressful traveling, especially with four kids. Uh, get them out of my shed, and uh, <laughs> yeah, just heading up to Oklahoma. So before we talk about all that, let's talk about mid first, uh, Carson. Midfirst.com slash pistols firing. You can go there, sign up for an Oklahoma State credit card. Uh, you can earn points. There's bursar rewards options. You sign up, you get a $150 bonus. You can spend that $150 on uh, some Maple Cowboy shirts. We can't stop selling them, Carson. It's unbelievable. We just keep ordering. We're back ordering it right yeah. now. It's awesome. Um, midfirst.com slash pistols firing. Thanks again to Midfirst. They've been awesome. And we've got a Midfirst 5 to get to. You could also leave your Midfirst 5 or your Midfirst, your Midfirst card with the bartender under the neon palms this weekend, mm. you could also do that. But make sure you make sure you get it back and sign out and, and get on down the road. Yeah. Okay. Mid first five. <laughs> <laughs> nice plug there, huh? Number one, um, Drew Brown goes on the road, beats West Virginia, obviously with a lot of help from the defense, Kyle. But I was impressed. Look, they didn't ask Drew Brown to do a whole lot early on in that game, and and I understand why. It's kind of why I predicted. The game played out exactly like I thought. I thought they would be uber conservative with Drew. I thought the defense would play well, but I thought it would be a really close game. And, you know, OSU trailed in the fourth quarter, but really came away with another nice win. I believe that's four in a row now. So it's they've salvaged their season. But just what did you think about, about Drew Brown's performance? Yeah, I thought he was I thought he was good. I thought that he, you know, you, you watch some of the, the thing that stood out to me, you watch some of the sideline throws and you're like, ah, I don't know, is that going to get there? <laughs> you know, so like, Clearly, his arm strength is not what uh, Spencer Sanders is, but he didn't, he didn't turn it over. I think he's smart with it. He hits those little like uh, inside slants, like to to a stoner. He hit him on a touchdown on one of them. And you're like, that's that's nice. Like that's good. Like he he. I think he's more accurate than Sanders is. Which uh, when you're riding Chuba and you're riding a, a defense that's as hot as we've seen in like six years. That's what you want, right? And you know they went to um, they they hit Jelani in the first quarter. They dumped it off to Chuba more in the passing game, which is what I've been hollering about all year uh, for Sanders to do. So I, I thought he was really good for what they needed. Uh, I I don't it doesn't make me say like well they should have started him all year. I don't I don't think anybody's saying that. Uh, and if you are, you're wrong. But um, I. I it's just such a luxury to have that kind of player as a backup at this time of year. Yeah. I think if you were ranking backup quarterbacks, you'd have to be the, the number one guy. I mean, I obviously you don't see everyone's backup quarterback. You know, you look at the West Virginia kid coming in as a backup who's, who's played pretty well as, as a second string freshman. But I think Drew Brown's proven what we kind of thought about him, Kyle. He's a, he's a really good quarterback. He's, he's accurate. He can throw the deep ball if needed. He avoids mistakes. I think he's a little – we still haven't quite seen the running ability come to fruition. I, look, he's not Spencer Sanders. Like, you could line up Spencer Sanders at running back. Yeah. And I think that's going to be a huge loss game plan-wise against Oklahoma. But I do think they're going to run Drew Brown against OU. I do think he's a capable runner. He's more like Baker in terms of he can run and get out of trouble. And 
occasionally he'll pull the zone read and get around the edge for a first down. I think he's certainly capable of doing stuff like that too, in addition to what we saw against West Virginia. So I'm encouraged. Look, do I think the offense is explosive with Drew Brown? No, I don't. But do I think they're capable of pulling off an upset against Oklahoma? I do. I think he can... I think his arm is enough to keep OU honest to where they can't just stack the box. And if they do, I think Drew's capable of throwing it over the top to, to Dylan Stoner, and maybe they'll keep throwing to Jelani Woods. Who knows? But Braden, I, I, was impre- I was impressed. Braden Johnson, my guy. Your guy. Your guy, Braden Johnson. Yeah. Which, again, Drew was, Drew was solid, if not spectacular, but that leads us to number two on the mid-first five, Kyle. Woo! Uh, OSU's defense, the best they've been – Let's let's phrase it this way. OSU is a defense first team for the first time since thirteen. Pat Jones in nineteen eighty four. No, two thousand thirteen. <laughs> I mean, you can say they 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 were the best defense in the Big Twelve in twenty thirteen, but I don't feel like they relied on their defense like they do now. I think Clint Shelf Clint Shelf lit it up the last half of that year on offense. They were they were scoring some points. Yeah, two thousand thirteen though. Okay, so listen. 2013, they were. Uh, this is points per drive. It, I don't have the efficiency numbers in front of me, but they were 45th in points per drive. That's pretty good. You know, it's not elite, but it's good. They were sixth in the country that year in defensive points per drive. They gave up 1.3 points per drive that year in 2013. This year, they're at 1.99, which is is good. It's really good for OSU. But that 2013 defense, Carson, they were unbelievable. They were so good. I get what you're saying. Like, I, I think you could look at that offense and say, hey, go get us a couple touchdowns here. Although they didn't, like, I don't know. That was one of the offenses where they just got, that was Yersich's first year. You're like, who's calling the plays? They're mega conservative all the time. So I, I don't know. I, I just, and I'm, I'm not here to talk, like, for a whole podcast about 13. But to your point, like, this defense the, – <laughs> Like they're they're basically saying like we're not going to score a ton, we're going to try to put they're they're playing Big Ten football, Carson. This is how do you feel about this? Like this is your wheelhouse. Take the take the floor, have the stage. I don't know what to do with my hands. <laughs> I don't know. I had to go take a walk mid third quarter. Just, just I don't know how Big Ten fans watch this they, every week. They had, but that's basically what they are. You're right. They had seven. Maybe eight real possession. I think they, I think they had seven real possessions because they had one at the end of the half, doesn't count. One at the end of the game, and they had nine total. They had seven possessions, Carson. That's Rutgers, Illinois, Oof. and it's working. Eesh. It's working, yeah. and and I and I think that's one thing I'm curious about because OU wants to wants to speed them up. OSU is going to want to slow them down. I think that's one thing that's not being talked about a ton is just pace of play in Bedlam, and, and we've seen it from OSU. You know, the last basically their last four games, they've slowed it down. They've run sixty plays, sixty five plays. They're just they're not in a hurry, and I think it's because they they don't want like they just they they they're trying to give the game to their defense. They're trying to run out the clock. It's it's really incredible the shift over the last few years from hey, let's run as many plays as possible cuz we got two top, you know, top 3 round NFL picks or or more than that, whatever they had. And now it's like, hey, we've lost our quarterback, we've lost our receiver. We think our defense is is borderline elite for the Big 12. Um so let's let's slow this thing down and try to have as few possessions and as few plays as possible. It's weird. Like it's weird to rely on a defense and it's weird to have confidence in a defense at Oklahoma state, but that's where we're at. Look no further than Mike Gundy's decision to, to kick a field goal to go up seven thinking, well, West Virginia is not going to score a touchdown against us. And if they do, we'll tie it and we'll go win it in overtime. I think in years past, Gundy might go for that to get it, you know, to get it to a two score game or more than seven points. So I think that shows you how much he has confidence in his defense and how much they're really, they're relying on them. You've, you said it without Tylen, without Spencer, they're going to have to grind out some, they're having to grind out games. And I don't know if that'll work against Oklahoma, but you say 2013, I, I pulled up the 2013 schedule. Uh, Chelf came in against Kansas state, remember and relieved JW Walsh or wait, TCU rather. He came in and relieved JW Walsh. And then, the next games, they scored 58, 52, 42, 38, 49 to end the regular season. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. They lit it up down the stretch with, with Clint Shelf. Yeah. Um, who, by the way, Clint, 
Clint took exception to your to your stat. Did you see that on Twitter? What was that? The the stat that backup quarterbacks had more success against winning Bedlam than starters or something like that. And he <laughs> he posted like a Jim Carrey gif, kind of like rolling his eyes, which I don't know if he if he's just mad he didn't win Bedlam or took exception to it or what. But I, I, I wanted to reply like, Clint, you won two Bedlams. No, I thought he you, was you, I thought he was agreeing with it because I mentioned him in the article and I, I basically said that. I said he he like because he came in as a backup both years, 12 and 13, right? Yeah, uh, West, start the year, yeah. Westland started the year in 12, and then Walsh, well, technically Chelf did in 13. but <laughs> For two series, yeah. But basically Walsh, and then Chelf ended it. And, I mean, those are two games, like, those are probably the two games where OSU's come the closest to winning uh, in Gundy's tenure. So the, the reality here is that, like, Oklahoma State could have, what is that, three – uh no four bedlam wins with backup quarterbacks and just two with starters like guys that started the year right it could be mm-hmm. it could be fields in 01 chelf twice and then rudolph in 14 i mean those those two games they could they, i mean they they should have won 13 and they could have won 12 so i i just I thought he was maybe he was disagreeing, but I thought he was agreeing with the premise. Okay, I, I didn't understand the GIF usage, but but I will say, you know, Chelf led game-winning drives in both those games. Yeah, and I think had the defense just gotten a stop in both of those, which it's a big if, obviously. The but, 2013 defense. Yeah, <laughs> when Blake Bell turned into Dan Marino, that's neither here nor there. Had he won those two, I think we're discussing Clint Chelf when we start running down the list of all-time great quarterbacks. When it comes to Whedon, I mean, you look at some of these numbers Quinchell put up, and look, he's he's not a Whedon in terms of NFL player, but you beat OU twice. We know how OSU fans feel about you know Les Miles beating OU twice. Like, man, that would have really solidified his status, and we talk way more about him than we do even now. But he was a good quarterback, and and really led two game-winning drives. Just the defense didn't didn't hold up their end. Yeah. No, it's uh Let's move on. Yeah. Let, let's <laughs> let's go ahead. Uh Mike Gundy was in peak bedlam form oh and you know it's so much different than years past too Kyle because I feel like most years in bedlam Gundy would downplay it. He would treat it like just any other game. He would be in the, the, those moods where he would just wouldn't say a whole lot and didn't real didn't seem real interested in answering questions. He would kind of play that role for for years during bedlam week, but this was much different Kyle. He he got into global warming. He got into impeachment olds you got into impeachment you got into the weather being warmer now i don't know just it was all over the map i don't know where to start i'll let you start i i don't either i i thought he had one and we're going to talk about this with uh, eddie radosevich because this is his corner of the internet uh take it hashtag take it to facebook is his new one which is so good but gundy had one 300 word stretch and we posted about this on monday where he went and 300 words is not a lot of words, Carson. It's like I'm. It's like uh, I think you speak like 150 words a minute. So it's like I don't know, two two minutes of talking, less than two minutes of talking. Where he went uh, global warming, he went impeachment, and then he went like the um, how kids like are like immunity to bacteria because all kids do now is play video games. And you're just like, are we are we talking about Bedlam and football, or are we what what are we doing here? Because it was, I mean, it was a ride. I loved it. I love Bedlam with Gundy. He's he's unhinged. It's great. I need Gundy on like the Joe Rogan podcast where they just talk for three hours about just whatever yeah. the guest wants. Like I th- I think Gundy could like dive really deep into the the climate change yeah. and how how kids were tougher his day and age running running into fire hydrants playing football which I thought was the best line of the whole thing. Just it's like bust your knee up running fire hires. We didn't care. Yeah. He we said, tough. he said like slice your knee open. I'm like, are yeah. you, are you kidding me right now? Like, like, you know, that had to have happened in Midwest city when he was growing up. How, how do you just pull that out? Yeah. <laughs> well, it, definitely, fire it definitely happened. And you definitely didn't continue to play. Like he, he's just like saying ridiculous things. Like just, you know, it, it's, he's going to be the greatest old in the history of olds he might already be there but when he's like 
67 like he it, the stories are going to be just out outrageous and incredible <laughs> well where does i guess we'll get into more of that with with eddie with eddie ratto but um let's let's move on to number four it's still kind of based on the the mike Gundy press conference he, he kind of talked about jalen hurts and how he's an option or he's a wishbone style quarterback which i've been trying to quantify that their offense for a long time too they kind of run inverse play action in that they pretend like they're going to pass or they fake like they're going to pass and they're really like design quarterback sweeps quarterback power quarterback runs it's like the total opposite of normal play action but he basically listed off you know all the famous wishbone quarterbacks in OU history and Jalen Hurts already has more carries than those guys so he did talk a little bit of football um what were your thoughts on on that well, my thoughts on that were just going back to the second half of the Baylor game. I watched that whole thing, and when when OU's in trouble, like when they need when they need it, when they need something, it, it's it's all hurts. I mean that they just they just ride him. I mean he and and this thing about Saturday, it's like it's kind of like if if it gets dicey for either team, it's gonna be it's gonna be uh, one guy versus one guy. It's Chuba against Hurts, who's who slows down first because. You go back to the second half of the Baylor and Hertz had I think I think they ran fifty eight plays in the second half and he either ran it or passed it on like forty four or forty five of them. And oh. the other plays were like uh I think Kennedy broke like it, it just a couple of handoffs. But I mean he he is paramount to their offense and I, I think he had like I think it was like eighty 79, 80% of their yards in terms of like total yardage in that Baylor game. I mean, they just right. And that's, that's sort of the note. Chuba was at like 65 against West Virginia on Saturday. So I think it could be a two man or a one man show on either side. And it's for Oklahoma state. What do you do with that? Do, do you throw trace Ford at him? Do you try to throw like, uh, Rodriguez and, and, uh, Bog Bamiga. I think I did that right. Uh, at him like what, what do you do I, I somebody in the um, in the chamber had a really good thought uh, I think this was I can't remember who it was but they said uh, just make him throw it deep but then it's like I think he can throw it deep you know I, I don't I don't know what you do with him but mm, I don't know about that did you watch the TCU game uh, I watched some of it yeah he missed two or three deep balls that and then again, this just illustrates the level of quarterback play they've had at OU. Like Kyler Murray and Baker Mayfield hit that throw about 99.9% of the time, and he missed two or three that were touchdowns that were like really not that close that he overthrew. I think that to me is kind of an underwritten storyline coming into this week is the lack of confidence in the throwing game from Jalen Hurts. Look, it was bad in the first half. He obviously lit it up against Baylor in the second. He threw to 10 different receivers against Baylor. And they didn't have C.D. Lamb, I think, which was a big factor. But they only threw it twice last week against TCU, and he only completed 11 passes. And he keeps turning the ball over. He has, let's see here, he's thrown three interceptions in the past four games and fumbled five times. Two pick sixes, too. Exactly. And so their offense has moved the ball. Throwing it, but they, to me, I think... This is a good matchup for OSU's defense in that they pressure the quarterback. We've seen that time and time again. And while Jay Good runner, if you he, he struggles to get away from pass rushers because he's not quick. He, he's a good runner, but he doesn't have that ability to just get out of trouble really quickly. So I, I do think the throwing game for OU is leaving a lot to be desired for right now for Lincoln Riley. And you saw that against TCU. They ran the ball at will, but he was not – once they got up, they were not going to throw the football. I don't think they threw it on first down one time after they got the twenty-one nothing lead. So, yeah. no, that's a good what point. I would do, what I would do is, I would honestly, and they got Ceedee Lamb back, so it's a big difference. If he were out, I would really consider putting Rodriguez as just like a spy. Like, and I, I say the same thing for OU's defense on Chuba. Just put him as a spy. Just don't even look at where the football is. Just go spy him and go hit him. Like. Yeah. That's it. That's your job. You find number one, you can go hit him. Uh, or if he takes off, obviously go hit him. But I think if, if I'm OU too, I put 
a spy on Chuba. I don't care what the rest of the offense is doing. You you go find thirty and hit him, and just go go with wherever he goes. What so the, I think that's something else you you know you could do. It felt like that's what Baylor did, and he just kept coming. I mean, he just, I just I can't get over that second half in Waco, and I get it. Like Baylor's not elite. They're good though. I mean, they're 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 a good team. Their defense is good, and he just hammered them in the second half. He just kept coming and kept coming, and he wouldn't go away. He's just, he's a menace. Like he is just a menace. And the reason that I said that about uh, the deep passes, so Adam Lunt, uh, friend of the pod, friend of the blog, friend, just a friend, uh, fraternity brother of mine. Yeah, he's he's he had this. He said Hertz is uh, seventh in the nation in deep passing yards. Wow, which is, doesn't seem that way. Yeah, which is weird because so Joe Burrow is uh, sixth. Shane Buchel is first, and Hertz is seventh with over a thousand deep passing yards, hmm. which is 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 weird. You wouldn't you wouldn't uh, <laughs> you wouldn't. <laughs> Sorry, my buddy just got to my house and is standing in the window of my shed right right next <laughs> to me. <laughs> uh, it's it's Matt Quaid, by the way. You know him. Um, oh yeah, he. Uh, I'm I'm rattled right now. Just take over for me. He just he just like walked up right next to me in my window. Quaid's a Baylor guy, so he heard you talking smack on the Baylor defense. <laughs> That's what he's doing. I wasn't talking smack. They're good. They gotta... They're really they're really good. I think they're going to pose a lot of problems for OU in the Big Twelve title game, just yeah. like they did in the first so, half. Anyway, like I, I no, do... Hertz hit a ton of deep throws early in the season against UCLA, against South Dakota State. But you've seen lately the last three or four games of Big Twelve play; those have dried up, which in turn has kept these games close for Oklahoma. Really, with the turnovers, obviously, but they haven't been hitting the, the big plays to Charleston, Rambo, and, and CD. So, I don't know. It's it's gonna be a fun matchup, and I I do think the OSU defense is legit, and so I do think. They're going to be, give some problems to Jalen Hurts. I do wonder if their offense can keep up. That to me is the biggest question going into Bedlam. But uh, at least this is number five. Uh, you kind of mentioned, touched on it a little bit, but you know teams have been loading up on Chuba in the box, rightfully so. We all know that. And I think it was a great wrinkle against West Virginia. It should continue. They probably should have done it earlier in the season, like you suggested. But the throwing game to, to Chuba Hubbard was was sensational. I think that's one way to. Get him an extra ten touches in this game, you know, in addition to his twenty-five, thirty carries. Yeah, he should touch it if they if if they run seventy plays, he should be in on like forty-eight of them. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, and and Gundy said this like Chuban's face is just. He said it, it's a good football play. Like when when he <laughs> when, when he is running in space, that's a that's a good thing. Uh, you know, I, I think what this points to for me is I think Brown is going to ha- – I think they're going to ask – like if OSU is going to win, and I don't think they are, but if they are, I think he's going to have to do some things that he's kind of uncomfortable with doing, like that are that are maybe beyond what he's capable of, and he's just going to have to do them. And if he does them, and Oklahoma State creates some turnovers, I think they can win. I just don't know if he can do them because I think OU is talented enough and fast enough and good enough – to quote unquote take Chuba away, whatever that means, and just say, okay, if Brown's going to beat us deep with Stoner and with Braden Johnson, that's why I think Braden Johnson could be big in this game, you know. Uh, but if, but if I, I think OU's going to say, if, if that's what, if that's how you're going to win, then go win. And Brown's going to have to do it. And if he doesn't, then I think they could get blown out. Exactly. And I would caution people who think. You know, people that listen to this podcast who still think OU's defense stinks. Um, here's some numbers. They're number one in total defense in the Big 12. They're number one in pass defense in the Big 12. Uh, they're number three in rushing defense. OSU's number two. Let's see. Scoring defense, they're four. I mean, their defense has improved drastically. They are no longer the sieve the pushover that they used to be on defense so this this could look like a big 10 game kyle this could be big 10 bedlam which you know over the years of bedlam they've been wacky crazy high scoring affairs but i I think it's going to be much different because as much as we've talked about osu's defense improving ou's has too you have to give them a lot of credit too. alex grinch their defensive coordinator is a really good coach and he's already made a big impact in year one i can't wait till it's like 28 24 after the first quarter (laughs) and And we're just we're like, posting, well, the, posting the Gundy, are you not entertained gif. 
<laughs> the final was like 70 to 60. Everyone just starts dogging the Big 12 again for no defense. By the way, the Big 12, uh, well, I'll, yeah, I'll just say this now because I don't want to forget it. Did you see the video that I that uh, our account like retweeted from Texags? Yeah, were they mocking the Big 12? Yeah, they're mocking the Big 12. And I'm like, look, guys, last 10 years, I went and counted it because I was I was annoyed. A&M goes, hey, yeah, A&M goes 37 and 44. Their last 10 years in the Big 12. Three, three, not even four wins a year. You can't win four games a year. And then you turn around and go to the SEC and think, oh, well, we're winning and recruiting. Well, okay, win eight games, Iowa State. Win nine games, Iowa State. And you turn around and make fun of the conference that you couldn't even you couldn't even finish third in the South. <laughs> They're fourth, fifth, sixth in the South division. And I get it. Like you play like six number ones this year. Okay, whatever. You couldn't even beat Baylor and Tech when you were in the Big Twelve. I'm fired up. Well, you know who they've beaten this year? Okay, big bad SEC boys, A and M. Here are their SEC wins. Arkansas, congratulations, you beat an 8th grade football team. Mm, Ole Miss, congrats, you beat a probation-ridden team that can't beat anybody. Mississippi State, stinks, congratulations. Uh, South Carolina, horrible team, might fire their coach. Those are their only wins in the SEC. Yeah. So they're they're doing exactly what they did in the Big 12. Yeah, I know. You know, Lincoln Lincoln Riley, have you heard of this Blinken Riley account? Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, He eviscerated that tweet. Uh, I'm going to try and pull it up. But no, I mean, Kyle, they, all A&M does is trumpet their their good losses. Yeah. That's literally all they have to cling to is chanting SEC and clinging to their, their quote-unquote good losses. It's great. I love it. So, anyway. Do you have the uh, Blinken Riley? I'm trying. <laughs> Do we need to go to the uh, the uni review? I'll, I'll yeah. Do, I've got their uh, – okay, so since they – since they went to the SEC, so they went 11 and 12. Johnny wins a Heisman, right? They go nine, nine wins and 13, eight, 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 seven, nine, seven. Win 10 games. They've won 10 games one time this century. One time. Oklahoma State's about to win 10 games for the seventh time this decade. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Just win 10 games. And then you can like tweet your videos out, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, I don't have the stat, but it was basically teams that had four or more losses an X number of times in Big 12 history, and it was like Iowa State, Kansas, and A&M. They were like down there in the bottom with those terrible football programs. Yeah, it's awesome. It's hilarious. So, I butchered the stat. Someone will tweet it or, or comment on it in the chamber, but... Well, we just, I live in a shed with kids, so whatever. Uh, let's get to this week's uniform review about your back. Chris's University Spirit. Your one stop cowboy shop on Campus Corner, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Uh, what do you think of the, uh, the black, white, black? It's one of my favorite road combinations, and I really, I just, I love the badge. I can't, I can't hold it anymore. I've talked about it before, but <laughs> Were you I trying love the to badge. Hold it in? No, I just I didn't go over the top, but I, I'm going over the top now. I, I think the badge is so much better than having Pistol Pete on the helmet. Look, we all love Pistol Pete. He's a great mascot. I don't mind having him on like the pants and like little smaller accessories, but the badge is outstanding because it still has the brand on it, and it's just an alternate logo that I love. So I thought it looked good, but I I did want to note, Kyle, they really revamped the Ed Hardy helmet. Yeah, it uh, much less bedazzle. No barbed wire on it. They had kind of the badge, uh, little hologram or whatever the the styling is on the actual helmet, right on the forehead. I noticed. Yeah, it looks good. It, it uh, they 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 really cut down the bedazzle, and I think rightfully so. And I think it's it actually looked like a really sharp helmet with enough enough intricacies to make it different, but not enough to where you're comparing it to Ed Hardy bedazzled jeans. So I loved it. They have the best unis in the country. Don't don't at me. Oh oh. A and M can at me. They can. The, their people can can. Yeah. Hit, hit Even they know their uniforms stink. Huh? Even they know their uniforms. Stink. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, okay, we're gonna get to Eddie Radosevich in just a second, but let's hear from uh, 
Mid first, Carson. Bank with a winner. J.D. Power, highest satisfaction score for the second year in a row, and they were the Oklahoma Reader's Choice Awards best bank for the sixth year in a row, and also the best mobile app for the second year in a row. So uh, they, unlike Texas A&M, are uh, winning a lot and uh, doing something right. So congrats to Mid First, and uh, let's go. Let's hear from Eddie. I have the stat, by the way. Okay. Go ahead. Texas, A- Texas A&M was in the Big 12 from 1996 to 2011. In those 16 seasons, there were four Big 12 teams that lost four or more games at least 15 times. <laughs> Kansas, Baylor, Iowa State, and Texas A&M. Yeah, it's great. I love it. That's it. That's a wrap. Yeah, we'll see you. Okay, we're going to call Eddie Radosevich. It, it, it really is like basically the national narrative on the Big 12, and we can talk about it, but I feel like the Big 12 isn't a great conference by any means, but it's not just a shit conference. Like, I feel like there are eight decent teams in the Big 12. I think we're leaving this in, aren't we, Kyle? Let's just this. Let's just go. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's I go. agree with I agree with Eddie in that you know the SEC there are just bad football teams. The the Big 10 that you can play Rutgers in Maryland, but in the Big 12, like there's no team that's just going to let you just destroy them. Even Kansas, like Les Miles is putting up a fight in, in most weeks. They went on the road and beat Boston College by a million. So, yeah, I think the Big 12 just doesn't get any credit that there's no real pushovers in this league. So I, I agree with Eddie. The, the game that, you know, that I, kind of you would like to go back, and it's unfair, cause, and I hate this way of looking at it, but if a Tech could have beat an Arizona when uh, Bowman went down, like, that's a really bad look for the Big 12 to go back and look at that. I think even though it was only the second week of the season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, for those just joining the podcast, I should give you a proper introduction. It is Eddie Radosevich from Soonerscoop.com, from 107.7 The Franchise, occasional Crashing the Boards guest host, weather liaison for KFOR, <laughs> still not on KWTV News 9. Uh, did, I, did I land every title correctly? You did, and I, I appreciate it. Uh, we are we're just trying to fill out the resume, guys. Trying to be like you two. I forgot a crucial one. Uh, head of the committee of Horns Up for Peace. I forgot that one. <laughs> yes, yes, and it. I let me tell you guys the uh, the movement Horns Up for Peace has never been stronger. Uh, we appreciate our brethren down in uh, down in Austin, America, because that football program is going in really good direction right now. <laughs> Yeah, you got Tom Herman headbutting his own players and winning six games. It's uh, I know never it's, been worse. I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a hot take, but I felt like that was a low point for the Texas football program. And I, you know, there's rumors out of Austin now that there's quite the division in the locker room, and I just it everything that I I know a couple people that um, are associated with the athletic program down there and. Everything that you hear or that you think you know about Tom Herman, I think is probably true. And I think his act is wearing out a little bit on some people down there. And it's going to be interesting because they're kind of at a, it's crazy. They're kind of at a crossroads. I remember when Texas hired Tom Herman three years ago, you know, from the Oklahoma side of things and north of the Red River, it felt like that was going to be the hire that, that legitimately got him back. And, um, I don't know. It, it, it's strange. I, I never in a million years would have thought that they're a loss away from going six and six this season. I mean, if you're the if you're the Texas AD and you're looking at Baylor, Texas, and and you're like, huh, this is not how I envisioned this thing going like three years ago when Baylor or t- whatever it was when Baylor you know doesn't win a game, you get Herman. And then three years later, Baylor is hammering you to clinch their spot in the Big 12 title game. It's It's got to be like, what do we have to do? Yeah, it it, it just doesn't make sense. And, it, you know, it's kind of the thing, and we've talked about it on Twitter. We've talked about it. I think everybody's talked about it, basically, is, you know, the last decade for the Texas football program has it's been embarrassing in a way, but maybe it, it – maybe I, I think what was the blog yesterday that put it out that – said maybe the Mac Brown era was kind of an anomaly as far as where the Texas football program is as a whole. I, I think that, you know, they obviously um, were really good with Mac at the end of his, in the, you know, early 2000s, but 
since then, I mean, they, they don't have a problem recruiting. They don't, uh, you know, Austin is an unbelievable city. It's easy to recruit to there. Kids that grow up in the state of Texas are going to be uh, kind of almost destined to end up in Austin at some point if you're a really good football player, and it just hasn't come to fruition. So I, I don't know. It's, it's crazy. The entire state of Texas is underachieved in a way. I think I saw earlier today that um, TCU has to beat West Virginia to get four teams bowl eligible from the entire state, Yikes. which so. is just another just incredible statistic when you think about all the schools and high schools down in Texas that produce top-tier talent. And not only are they not going to uh, the in-state schools anymore, but when they do go there, uh, they're getting underdeveloped and not performing. So it's uh, it's interesting, but to say that it breaks my heart, I would be lying to you guys. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's definitely a good thing for Oklahoma State because they've kind of taken the mantle in the Big 12 over the last decade, really. Sure. the second-best program. Especially that Houston area. Yeah, no doubt. And I begin to wonder if it's just a Texas problem like you kind of alluded to. Like, they hired Charlie Strong, who was the hottest coach in the country. They hired Tom Herman, who was the hottest coach in the country. And they still aren't figuring it out. And even before Mac Brown, they weren't even that good under John Makovic and into the 80s. So, no, Texas got a lot of issues. But we wanted to have you on to talk a little Bedlam, Eddie. Obviously, Oklahoma has coming off three straight just psychotic games in which <laughs> they could have lost, really. And I yeah, think it comes absolutely. down to it comes down to Jalen Hurts. I mean, his turnovers, I think five fumbles and three interceptions in his past four games. So just what's going on with him and where's Lincoln Riley and OU at with, with Jalen Hurts' turnover issues? Yeah, it's it's been crazy. I you know, I I guess this is my tenth year covering the team and it's kind of it, i I can't remember a season that has been not only this up and down as far as the in-game highs and lows, uh, you know, whether it be getting down by 25 or getting up by 21 and letting a team back in the game, uh, particularly over the last three weeks, uh, you know, it, it, it's been insane. And, you know, even for a bigger picture of it, it, it feels like the Oklahoma fan base, I've never seen a fan base that has normalized winning 10 games and being 10-1 and going back to a Big 12 title game for the fifth straight year, and almost being unhappy about it. I mean, they have you look back at the first half of the Baylor game, and rightfully so, embarrassing to an extent, but you have people ready to fire Lincoln Riley, say that Lincoln Riley's in over his head, <laughs> uh, fire Alex Grinch, of course, which the turnaround defensively from a statistical and even from just a, a vision standpoint of, of what you see on Saturdays, is night and day different from what it was a year ago. I mean, they're at least competent out there. Uh, you know, I think they're 31st in total defense going into the year. If you would have told me that they were going to be top 40, I was saying in August, if they could get into the mid-60s, it was going to be a successful year. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, they've been they've been pretty good defensively. Uh, you know, I, there's certain obviously certain parts where the, it hasn't been good. It, it's had shades of of what you saw a year ago, particularly in the fourth quarter against Iowa State, uh, even the first half against Baylor. But, you know, they've put themselves in bad positions, and, you know, they put the OU defense in bad positions, and they being Jalen Hurts in the Oklahoma offense, which is just so strange, uh, considering I think what people have been used to over the last three, four years, obviously with Baker Mayfield and Kyler Murray. Um, it, it's been surprising and maybe even a little bit shocking just as far as, the turnovers for Jalen Hurts have come not only in just the most inopportune times, but in a way they've come at they're, – they're unforced errors. It's like he's uh, – you know, whether it be running into the end zone down in Waco uh, inside the five-yard line, uh, losing the ball like he did in the fourth quarter uh, last week against TCU. Uh, basically, he thought, I think he thought he was going to score. I don't think he even thought that the guy was coming – uh, from the backside and to fumble inside the 10 and then throw a pick six. Uh, that, that turns the game from, you think Oklahoma's getting ready to go up 18 and all of a sudden it's a four point game. Uh, it's, it's, it's been interesting. And, you know, I, I think that as much as, as much good as Jalen Hurts has been. And I think that, you know, obviously I think Lincoln Riley would do it if he had to do it all over again, he'd certainly still go try and get Jalen Hurts. It's uh it's been interesting. And, you know, they, they, the, the turnovers though is just, it's kind of inexplicable just as far as um, can't really put a finger on it. I mean, it just, it's kind of carelessness uh, to a certain extent. And for a guy that is 
experienced and as senior laden as uh, as Jalen Hurts is, uh, it just it, it's surprising. And uh, you know, I think that's kind of why they there's I, I guess that's why there is a little bit of a um, maybe a, a a scare factor from the fan base and and not wanting to buy into this team because uh, <laughs> they have had their hearts broken. Uh, I think that there's a little bit of a kind of a caution as far as the playoffs go uh, and, and kind of getting their hearts broken over the last uh, three times that they've been in the college football playoffs. So it's, it's an interesting time to cover Oklahoma. It's, uh, it's, been a, it's been a really interesting year. It's definitely heartbreaking to be on the precipice of five straight Big 12 titles. Um, did, you, <laughs> did you catch there's – Den- There's not a more spoiled fan base in the, in the country. <laughs> I, there's, there's just no other way to say it. Ohio State is up there, I think, as well. Uh, did it's, you probably, ca- it's probably true. Did you catch um, Gundy's presser on Monday? I've seen the outtakes, or I guess the, not the outtakes, but I've seen what, uh, you know, uh, the, the various uh, Twitter videos. I haven't sat down and actually watched the entire thing. But here's, here's my question for you. If you had to pick, like, two or three topics, doesn't have to be football, it shouldn't be football, for Gundy to just go, like, just say, hey, 10 minutes, just go. What what would you pick for Gundy to just go off on? Just like, oh, full, like maybe maybe like a bourbon or two in, and he's just like doesn't care. Uh, what what would you pick for him to get, to go? I think it would be in a way it would be. I, I guess I would try and lead him down the trail of what he thinks about everybody else uh, in his profession <laughs> would probably be the starting point, <laughs> and then we could explore the recruiting realm, which. I don't think that he entirely enjoys to a certain extent. He just puts up with it, yes. uh, which couldn't be more of a polar opposite uh, than, than Lincoln Riley, who has basically dedicated an entire staff to social media and making graphics and that kind of stuff. Uh, and then I guess the third one would probably be just, I don't know, what's it like growing up in Midwest City, Oklahoma? I'd probably and, and probably get into a little bit of uh, his brother Kale. Uh, I could I could sit and listen to Mike Gundy talk for for hours though, and basically about nothing. I think it'd be fascinating. Well, you've led the charge on hashtag olds and how they hang out on Facebook. They do things a certain way <laughs> take it to Facebook. and take it to Facebook. I think Gundy really hit a lot of nerves on the, on the, on the hashtag old scale in terms of, you know, back in his day, they didn't wear, you know, hand sanitizer that to get rid of bacteria, <laughs> they were just outside a lot and played football and ran into fire hydrants. Did you hear the, the old statements from Mike? No, I didn't, but I certainly can, I can imagine them. And it's funny that like, I, from from the outside looking in, it's like I, I feel like sometimes the Oklahoma State fan base, uh, they, I don't, I don't know, they I feel like they give Mike Gundy a lot harder time than he probably deserves because I think that he truly does deep down he cares and I do this in my personal life sometimes just as far as I act like I don't care about something but deep down I do and I he almost kind of I don't know like shoves it aside in a way publicly when when in reality he's back channeling and trying to figure the damn thing out. Does that kind of make sense? I don't know. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. There's nothing, there's nothing I love more and there's nothing that I've done more than try to psychoanalyze Mike Gundy from like, you know, 500 miles away. And I think he is a, uh, look like the bottom line for, for us, the three of us is like, he's great for our profession, right? Like he is an interesting person to talk to he's an interesting person to talk about and amid all of that he's been really successful at what he's done and and not just for Oklahoma State standards but nationally like I mean you're talking about if he like if he did if Mike Gundy did at A&M what he's done at Oklahoma State they would they would build like a new stadium like and put his name all over it I mean He's been great, and so I think the bottom line for me is just how much fun this era has been, and I think I think it's hard to appreciate that until you're outside of it. Yeah, and certainly when you're in the same state as a school like Oklahoma, it's just it's almost a little unfair with the success that Oklahoma's had over the last 
you know, I, I specifically the last five, six years, uh, and even more specifically, I guess the last three years when, uh, under Riley or the last four years, it's just, um, uh, it, it's crazy to me. And, you know, I, I think in a way, if Matt rule hasn't, didn't do what he's already done in Waco this year, Lincoln Riley and Mike Gundy would probably be up for coaches of the year in the big 12. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you can just shoe in Matt Rule to win that award this year, and he should be probably the national coach of the year. Uh, but at the same time, like I think both coaching staffs have done an incredible job, and particularly in Stillwater, where after that, after the uh, game in Lubbock, I thought, boy, this team. I, I, I honestly, I didn't know how many games they were going to win mm-hmm. uh, because they just went out there and played so poorly. Yeah, that was a shock. And you kind of mentioned it too on on your Sooner Scoop podcast, who's also sponsored by Mid First. So we got we got some synergy there. We love Mid First. We love Mid First. <laughs> but um, you know, in years past, Eddie, like when we would do these Bedlam podcasts, prior to the last two years, our biggest concern and and thought was, will Mike Gundy try to win the game, or will he be scared to death to turn the ball over and throw the ball deep? Because you remember that 2016 game in Norman. It was raining, and he was afraid to let Mason Rudolph throw it. But really, the last yeah. two years, he's let it all hang out. The Bedlam game between Mason and Baker was an all-time classic. And Taylor Cornelius you know, had a two-point conversion to win the game in a high-scoring affair. So what do you expect from this game? We kind of compared it to like a Big Ten game with how well the two defenses are playing. You know, OU, you mentioned it. They're number one in, in total defense in the Big 12. They're number one in pass defense. They've improved. And, and OSU's defense, Eddie, is flat-out winning them football games. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like a, a resurgence on on the defensive side of the ball for both schools. Uh, I and <laughs> I, I've been surprised. I think I guess would probably be the best way to put it. Just as far as uh, you know, I, I thought Oklahoma State would have a little bit of uh, trouble, uh, particularly in getting pressure on the quarterback. And that seems like that's kind of uh, taken care of itself. Uh, the Rodriguez kid has played extremely well. Uh, I didn't know how well he was going to fit in there in the middle, uh, but I mean, it's it. Everybody wants to talk about this game going under, and it probably end up will uh, going under. But uh, you know, I do think that both offenses will find some type of success. Uh, when, when the initial line came out on Sunday afternoon, what was it like, fourteen and a half? I gave serious thought to flying to Vegas because if there's anything that we know about this Oklahoma team is they just don't cover. Um, you know, I, I certainly think that Oklahoma, if they can get some pressure on Drew Brown uh, and force him into some, I, I don't want to say bad decisions because Oklahoma can't force turnovers either. Uh, but if they can get Ronnie Perkins going, he's started to come on strong uh, here over the last couple weeks. Uh, Jalen Redmond started to flash a little bit up front. Uh, I do think that that Oklahoma defensive line can find some success. It's just going to be about bottling up Chuba Hubbard, which uh, – <laughs> I don't think anybody in the country has done that this year. So, um, you know, I, I think it's going to be a fun game. It, you know, the last couple of years, uh, Carson, just like you said, have been highly competitive football games. And I think that uh, we're probably shaping up to see another one of those on Saturday night. Uh, you know, Oklahoma, every time, and particularly the last couple of weeks, every time that they've had a chance to put their – foot on the throat of an opponent, they haven't been able to do it. And, you know, I kind of thought that they were going to be able to do it last week against TCU. They get up 21 to nothing and let them right back in the game. Uh, obviously, uh, turnovers help that. But at the same time, I think, you know, people just expecting that to uh, them to flip a switch and be able to put teams away. Uh, I mean, they're, they're entering the last game of the regular season. It, it's just not going to happen this year. Uh, more problematic for the opposing team, Kenneth Murray or Chuba? Ooh, probably Chuba. I mean, I, I, I think that he's a guy that can certainly uh, change the dynamic of the game. Uh, you know, I, in a way, I guess they kind of go hand in hand. If, if, if Kenneth Murray is flying around and making plays, uh, it's not a coincidence that Oklahoma plays better defensively when that happens. When he disappears a little bit, like he did in Manhattan, uh, like he did in for the better part of the first half down in Waco, um, Oklahoma becomes a very average defense. And that's not to say that they're great when he's on. Um, it's going to be interesting, you know, just kind of a, a side storyline. We talked to him 
uh, last night just as far as not being a finalist for the Buckus Award, which I don't think anybody um, realistically thought that he was going to win it necessarily. Uh, he was pretty fired up about the fact that he was left off the uh, the list. Now, do I think that that's going to change the outcome of the game or the way that he plays? Absolutely not. But that might, that's a, that might be a Facebook storyline. Uh, yes, I'm actually uh, I'm going to draft that and put it under my uh, my alias here in a little bit. So if you guys <laughs> see that floating around on uh, on the Facebook pages, you'll know Just where it's coming from. Workshopping some bulletin board material for Saturday. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. That's that's another extension of uh, Lincoln Riley's recruiting realm. He has a bunch of aliases to post on Facebook. Eddie's burner Facebook account. I gotta, I gotta find that and pull it up. Uh, Eddie Radosovich, we appreciate your time. Before we get you out of here, I want to get your pick on the game and and over under how many frozen Jack and Cokes you're gonna have underneath the uh, neon palms at uh, Murphy's. Oh well, that one's easy. Well over five, I would say, is probably the over under, and I would probably take the over if it was an 11 a.m. or 2:30 game. With it being a seven o'clock game, uh, probably won't have. Won't be able to go as hard, and definitely won't be able to get over there after the game. So, I guess maybe take the under, which I know is disappointing. Uh, and then for the game, I don't know. I if Spencer Sanders was playing, I 100% think I would pick Oklahoma. I mean Oklahoma State. Um, I think Oklahoma will be able to find some success in getting after Drew Brown. It's going to be interesting to see how he kind of reacts playing in that atmosphere, if you will. Um, I, I watched a little bit of the West Virginia game and the first half was, that was a struggle. I don't know. You guys tell me if I'm completely wrong on this. I, I thought it was a little bit of a struggle for him. So if they can get him, um, flustered, I think that Oklahoma will, and if they, of course, if they don't turn the ball over, I, Jalen Hurts can't go up there and turn the ball over two or three times or you will get beat. I think at some point, uh, those turnovers have to, uh, kind of what's, what's the cliche line as far as uh, playing with fire, you're bound to get burned at some point. And mm-hmm. Oklahoma's done that the last three weeks. Uh, so, and Oklahoma state's been able to force some turnovers. So I might be talking myself into picking Oklahoma state, but uh, I'll go. OU. let's go 34, 28 in a nail biter. Love it. Eddie Radosovich. 34, 28 be a nail biter. I don't even know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Especially with a late cool. touchdown or something. Yeah, it's 28-27. Yeah. You score late. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Eddie, appreciate you joining us, man. We can listen. If you want more Eddie takes on, on Olds and uh, Lincoln Riley recruiting, go to the Sooner Scoop podcast sponsored by MidFirst. Uh, Eddie, thanks again for your time, man. We'll catch up at Bedlam. Absolutely, we'll, guys. We'll see you on the field Saturday night. We always run into each other in the most uh, – the, the most tensest parts of the game. I know. If you will. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, it'll be fun. I'm excited for it. We'll talk right. to you later, Eddie. See you, Eddie. Yeah. Okay, Carson. Um, what uh, What'd you think? Well, I think most most people I've seen on, on social media and just talking about the game in general from the OU perspective, they just, they're not even like considering this game. Like they're just, they're already talking about Baylor and big 12 and you know, they're, they're talking about the game of course, but I don't think they've really considered the fact that OU could lose it. But I think if you listen to Eddie, like I think he's looking at it logically and that, you know, the problems they've had can translate to this game and OU could, if they turn it over a bunch, they could lose this game easily. So yeah. I, I mean, not easily, but they could lose the game. So I think Eddie comes with it with far more perspective in terms of, you know, OU's not unbeatable. Yes, they have won 10 games, but they've really had to eke out the last three. And I think he's he's been cutting it pretty honest in terms of what OU can bring to the table and what OSU can do to them. Yeah, for sure. Um, okay, let's hear one more time from our sponsor, Chris's University Spirit, and we'll come back and wrap this show up. Chris's University Spirit on Campus Corner in Stillwater, Oklahoma is proud to be your one-stop cowboy shop since 1986 and proud sponsor of this podcast, Pistols Firing. They specialize in custom-printed Oklahoma State apparel and merchandise and pride themselves on their excellent customer service. They also offer a full line of custom Greek apparel and can even outfit your Little League team head-to-toe. They're located at the corner of 3rd and Knobloch on Historic Campus Corner. You can follow them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to shop online at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Shop Stilly, shop Chris's University Spirit. 
Okay, Carson, I uh, I need to get going. I've got I got friends over. I got I got to get out of the shed. Um, Eddie was great. We're gonna have uh, more special guests on on Wednesday. Our dads, our annual call to our dads. They're gonna have Terry Miller takes. Maybe we can get them cranked up on global warming and the impeachment hearing. Um, do you have any other stuff you want to ask them about? Um, Chuba versus Terry Miller. Chuba versus Bob Fenimore. I want to go full <laughs> olds takes on running backs. Chuba versus uh, Alexander the Great. <laughs> <laughs> Chuba versus uh, how would he translate to Pappy Waldorf's team in 1946? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, it, it's uh, it's a fun week. It's an exciting week. Uh, we will both, uh, or we're both planning on. I, I'm planning on being in Stillwater on Saturday. You will be there. And, uh, yeah, we'll have plenty more Bedlam coverage throughout the week. Thanks again to Mid First. Thanks again to Chris's. Carson, we will talk again soon. Happy Bedlam week. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you later. See ya.